Time to tell you what's happened in sports history on January 31st and the anniversaries of these great athletes that wore some great jerseys. And we're going to talk about jersey number 7, 11, 2, 4, 12, 8, and number 21. See who the athletes are and what great events they took part in on this date coming up in just a moment. My name's Darren Hayes, and I know you've heard me on the Pigskin Dispatch talking about football history for years. Well, now I'm on a new mission, a quest to find sports history in other sports as well as football by learning through the jerseys and the apparel and the gear that the players wore and the franchises supplied their teams. It's an educational trip, and I'm taking you with me day by day, player by player, uniform by uniform, the Sports Jersey Dispatch. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my sporting friends. This is Darren Hayes coming to you from the Pigpen in behalf of the Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. And we have some great sports history for the date of January 31st and some great jersey numbers as we talked about at the heading. So let's get right to it with January 31st, 1920, number seven, Joe Malone, a center for the Quebec Bulldogs, set an NHL record when he scored seven goals in a 10-6 win over the rival Toronto St. Patrick's on the ice of the Quebec Arena. Malone led the NHL that season with 39 goals on the season and has 49 total points were also tops in the league that year. January 31st, 1923, the Montreal Canadiens beat the Hamilton Tigers 5-4 at the Mount Royal Arena in Montreal. The first penalty-free game played in the National Hockey League history back in 1923. January 31st, 1927, the National League Brass ruled the future Baseball Hall of Fame infielder Roger Hornsby could not hold stock in the St. Louis Cardinals and play for the New York Giants at the same time because of the obvious conflict of interest. Oddly enough, the legendary ball player earned a $2,916 dividend on the very same day from his option with the Cardinals. That probably didn't help his case any. You know, when you're playing for one team and you hold stock in another team, what happens when those two teams play? You know, it, it could get a little fishy there. So that was a, a little shady by Hornsby, but uh, baseball, uh, the upper offices of the National League decided they were going to put a stop to that. Though he may not have worn a uniform in 1927, no big league team mandated them then. Because remember, baseball did not say you had to wear a jersey until 19. 19- 29, a jersey number that is. He had to wear a jersey, but no number on the jersey uh, sleeve or on the back. Now, Hornsby would eventually, in the coming years, be seen wearing numbers 4, 9, 11, and 16 for various teams, including the St. Louis Browns, Chicago Cubs, and the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, January 31st, 1952, Harry Heelman and Paul Wehner were a couple of the members that were elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame on that day. Now, Hillman played ball from 1914 to 1929 as a right fielder and a first baseman for the Detroit Tigers. He also played a couple seasons for the Reds at the end of his career in Cincinnati. The majority of his playing days, though, he did not wear a number 
And I'm not sure what uniform digits he did wear because 1929 he played, also 1930 season, 1932 with the Reds. I'm not sure what numbers he wore there. I could not find that information. If you do have that information, uh, we'd like to know. Uh, please email me at pigskindispatch at gmail.com. Now, Wayner, on the other hand, was an outfield player that played for the Pittsburgh Pirates for 15 of his 20 seasons playing Major League Ball. For most of those seasons in Pittsburgh, he wore number 11. His career spanned from 1926 all the way to 1945 in the great American pastime at the professional level. January 31st, 1958, Jackpot Bowling premiered on NBC with the former Major League Baseball player and manager, Leo Dersher, as its host. Now, Leo was an infielder for a few teams. He spent most of his career wearing the number two as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals and the Brooklyn Dodgers organizations. Host of a TV show where they did jackpot bowling. Very interesting. Now, January 31st, 1959, Major League Baseball player and manager Joe Cronin signs a seven-year pack to become the head of the American League of Baseball. In his playing days, Cronus was a shortstop, and he donned the number four mostly uh, for most of his seasons with the Washington Senators and the Boston Red Sox. He played for a couple other teams, wore a couple other numbers, but most notably, number four was most of his career for those two teams. On January 31st, 1971, a special veterans committee added six former players and one executive to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, Dave Bancroft, Chick Hafey, Jake Beckley, Joe Kelly, Harry Hooper, Rube Markward, and George Weiss all made it into the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame in 1971. On January 31st, 1977, Joe Seal, uh, Amos Rusi, and Al Lopez, they were all selected into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. January 31st, 1988, Doug Williams, who wore number 12 for the Washington Redskins in Super Bowl XII, took home the most valuable player award at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego as Washington defeated the Denver Broncos 42-10. January 31st, 1991, Denver Nuggets player Michael Adams became the shortest NBA player to put up a triple-double in a game. Adams wore the number 14 for most of his career in the Mile High City. Adams in the programs was listed as being 5 foot 10 inches tall, playing among those giants of the NBA in 1991. On January 31st, 1993, at Super Bowl 27 at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, that saw the fans saw the Dallas Cowboys slap around the Buffalo Bills 52-17 in that game. The MVP of this game was old number 8 of Dallas, quarterback Troy Aikman. January 31st, 1997, the San Antonio Spurs forward Dominique Wilkins, wearing number 21, scored 27 points in San Antonio's 97-95 loss to Minnesota. That evening, the points gave him 26,009 for his career and made him only the sixth NBA player to reach the 26K milestone. Quite an accomplishment for Dominique Williams. Uh, January 31st, 1999, Pro Player Stadium in Miami, Florida, Super Bowl 33 featured the Dirty Birds of the Atlanta Falcons facing the AFC champion Denver Broncos. But Denver was the defending champs as a year earlier. They defeated Green Bay for the franchise's first championship for pro football reference. The Broncos were a little too much for upstart Atlanta, though, as they grounded the Falcons 34-19. 
Denver's number seven, quarterback John Elway threw for 336 yards and a touchdown to help him take home the MVP trophy. On January 31st, 2015, the Atlanta Hawks set a new NBA monthly win record as they moved to 17-0 for the month of January with a 91-85 victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. And what a game that must have been. Uh, quite a thrill to see the, uh, their team in Atlanta go 17-0. Uh, quite a run there indeed. Now speaking of greatness, now here's one of my friends with the sports jersey take of the day. Hi, my name is Andrew Newman, and I am the co-host of Hello Old Sports here on the Sports History Network alongside my older brother, Dan Newman. We do a show here on the network probably about two times a month, if we're being realistic at this point with the uh, frequency, but we cover really anything that uh, would fall under the umbrella of old sports. We've done episodes as far back as the 1890 Baltimore Orioles, the famous uh, team that invented the Baltimore Chop, and as recently as Super Bowls that have been played in the 2010s. Um, We don't have a specific area or sport of focus, but we uh, very purposely like to bounce all over the place and cover primarily basketball and baseball and football. But we've also done episodes on the history of the boxing heavyweight championship and covered Olympics when we dive into a specific year. We've done episodes on 1920 and 1941 and uh, most recently an episode on sports in the year 1986. So uh, if you're looking for a a nice cross section, feel free to check us out. It's uh, Hello Old Sports is the name of the podcast and uh, look through our episodes and see if one of them gives you a particular interest in the subject matter. Uh, Just to be forewarned at the top, They are very long, usually. Much longer than we intended for them to be. Um, Today, I am here to talk about... The request was for a specific uh, basketball jersey or player jersey that particularly resonates with me. And as you might be able to tell from my accent, I grew up in the uh, suburban New York area. And I grew up a Knicks fan. But I have... As I mentioned, an older brother, and I grew up in the era of Nintendo and Sega and PlayStation video games where my brother being the older brother was player one, and he would get to choose his team, and he would be the Knicks, and I was left to determine another team to root for, uh, or to be in the video game, and the Michael Jordan Bulls were a non-starter in my house. We grew up watching the Bulls dismantle the Knicks, so that was never our uh, our go-to in games. Um, so the team I gravitated towards by the mid-90s was the Utah Jazz. This would have been the era of the Stockton, Malone, Hornacek, uh, Greg Ostertag teams, and one of the things that really drew them, drew me to them, was their classic uh, uniforms, The whether it's the white version or the purple version. I guess the purple version would be nicer, with the gold writing that said jazz, and the musical note was the J that went over the top. Um, now, as a kid, like a lot of people, I learned geography and uh, things and states and cities from sports 
but I didn't know anything about, you know, culture, really. I didn't know how ridiculous a name the Utah Jazz was. I just remember my father mentioning a few times, well, there ain't no jazz music in Utah. And kind of wondering, well, then why are they called the Jazz? And as I got older, I learned that, yeah, they started in New Orleans in the 70s and were there a few years and then moved to Utah and became the Jazz. And I started to really like that team. Um, the jerseys were just, to me, perfect. Now, of course, pretty soon after I got big into them, they changed their name, or they changed their uniform to the sort of mountainscape, and that's what they had for years. And thankfully, they've gone back to that old logo, although now they tend to wear it with a variety of different colors, a dark blue, a green, very rarely the authentic original purple or white with purple writing, but it's an improvement over the previous jerseys. Um, but that jersey really just was so distinctive to me in an era when a lot of jerseys had a bunch of black in them or teal at the time, and this was a jersey with a really cool logo and a very distinct uh, color scheme, and you could say, well, what about the Lakers? But I feel like it was different enough that it was, it was even though it was the same basic colors, it was very different than the Lakers uniform. It was not hard to distinguish between the two of them. Um, and I think at the time, the two players being the signatures of that team, John Stockton and Carl Malone being sort of for various reasons, the antithesis of what you would consider like cool, cutting-edge NBA players of the time uh, just really drove it home to me. And as the years have gone on and every now and then teams and pe or people suggest that the Jazz should change their name, especially when New Orleans got a franchise again, I heard people say, well, why wouldn't Utah just give the Jazz name back to New Orleans, sell it to them, and then come up with something a little more regionally appropriate? But I think at this point, they've been the Jazz for so long, the look is iconic, um, that I love that there's a Utah Jazz. I love that in the least Jazz place in the world, or in the country, I guess the world is probably a little too strong, but in the place that in the country is probably culturally the furthest from New Orleans, has a team named after the music that was made famous in New Orleans. Um, you know, occasionally I'll be talking to somebody who's not a basketball person and I'll mention the Utah Jazz and they do kind of a double take if that's the first time they've heard of them. Um, but that that jersey, the, the musical note is now to the point where even if it doesn't have the rest of the name, just the note delineates that it's the Jazz. Um, so, yeah, growing up, I can't say it was a specific player in particular, but I just have visions of, of Stockton and Malone and Hornacek and, you know, before that, Mark Eaton in that Utah jazz, beautiful, nonsensical, anachronistic relic of a, a city they only played in for a few years, and now they've been in Utah for 45 years, and they're still known as the jazz, um that's the jersey that kind of resonates with me and as a little brother who had to adapt to different teams in video games because my brother had monopolized our favorite teams in in every sport the Giants the Yankees the Knicks I could have done a lot worse than the Utah Jazz and that uh, very cool jersey and, and color scheme and that will forever have a have a place in my heart 
along with Lewis Scott from Celtic Pride, who was the famous Utah Jazz player who led them to a championship after surviving being kidnapped by Dan Aykroyd and Daniel Stern the night before Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Hey, thanks, Andrew. That was a great take on uh, some great uniforms that the Utah Jazz have worn over the years, and uh, we thank you for that. If you have a take that you'd like to tell, talk to us about here on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, just email me at pigskindispatch at gmail.com, and we'll get uh, some arrangements for you to do so because we want to hear about this uh, great history of the great athletes and uniforms that have been through all the major sports in teams uh, around the world. So uh, we also want to thank uh, Gene and Mike Monroe for some great uh, music they had, the reggae uh, entry music that they had, and Jason Neff for the song you're hearing right now in the background, and the one you're going to hear in a moment on our end credits. And we also want to put out a special shout out and credit to uh, some great websites that we've got some information from newspapers.com, onthisday.com, and all the sports reference uh, sites, you know, the hockey, pro football, baseball and basketball we thank all of them for the great information we've get garnered from them to use in the podcast today make sure you check out all those sites listen to the great music that we've had and we hope you find your way back tomorrow to listen to some more great sports history and also check us out on pigskin dispatch where we talk about football history each and every day of the year as well till tomorrow everybody have a great sports history day Sorry, but my pitching coach just called timeout and he's coming out to the mound. I think I'm going to get yanked for a reliever. We'll see you back tomorrow for some more great sports history on Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel. Get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.